Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. This past weekend, I was reading some articles on ISO invariance, which is a phenomenon on newer digital cameras where you take the base ISO of your camera and you severely underexpose the image. And then when you raise the levels up in, in Lightroom or Photoshop, the amount of noise that you get is the same as if you had shot it at a higher ISO. And it's a confusing concept uh, because it's not intuitive. And, and of course, in a lot of cases um, for photography, you can't do that because you need a higher shutter speed to freeze action. But it kind of put uh, into my head this question of how technical do you have to be to take a good photo? Because I think there's a lot of things in regards to digital photography today that have very, very complex explanations, and yet the end result, whether you understand it completely or not, the end result of your photo is it's either good or it isn't. It either moves people or it doesn't. Now, I have a confession to make, which is I often shoot in aperture priority. You know, I understand the exposure triangle, and I understand that uh, shutter speed affects motion blur, and I understand that depth of field is... Uh, impacted by aperture, and I understand uh, ISO can increase the, quote, sensitivity, end quote, of your camera sensor. But I don't want to fiddle with all those dials when I just want to take a photo. I understand that there, there are clearly benefits to shooting in manual in certain situations, but, you know, when the light is darting in and out, a half stop, maybe a stop, I don't want to constantly be moving my dials when I want to be focused on what I'm trying to frame. When I shoot with strobes or when I shoot astrophotography, uh, I'm always shooting in manual. Those types of photography, to me, demand shooting in manual. Um, but by shutter count, those photos don't represent anywhere near the bulk of my photos. So the question that I'm asking this week is, does knowing the science behind photography help us create better pictures and or get more out of our equipment? Or does the accumulation of such knowledge simply make more technical photographers feel superior in what they're doing? Given how capable smartphone cameras have become in the past few years, you could start to make an argument that as computational photography and machine learning progresses, photographers will only need to frame a scene to create an amazing photo. Other photographers might grimace in horror at that thought. The thought of deferring to computers to make these artistic and technical decisions. But you know, the, the photos that I'm getting off of my current iPhone 11 Pro camera are leaps and bounds better than what I was getting off of the equivalent iPhone camera from five years ago. The technology and the computational photography brains behind the photography have really dramatically improved in the past few years. And if that trend continues, we just have to assume that the photos are going to get better and better and better and that the scene recognition by these cameras is going to get better and better and better. Now, there have been technical photographers in the history of photography like Ansel Adams and non-technical photographers like Annie Leibovitz. And both shooters have produced great photos and earned a full-time living through photography. Their successes as photographers is measured by the quality of their photos, not by the technical aspects. You know, in the case of Ansel, his technical understanding of 
photography and sensitometry. And in Annie's case, you know, the ability to just relate to people in a way that gets her the best photo. And depending on your taste for photography, you might say, well, Annie's the better photographer or Ansel is the better photographer. To me, they're kind of apples and oranges questions. You know, Ansel was really great at shooting landscapes and he was, in my opinion, really not so great at shooting people. And Annie's really great at shooting people and I've never seen her shoot a landscape before, so I couldn't comment on that. But again, how technical do you have to be to take a good photo? I do contend that every serious photographer needs to understand the exposure triangle. So shutter speed, aperture, and ISO relate to one another directly, and each has a different effect on the resulting image. As I said before, shutter speed affects motion blur, aperture affects the depth of field, and ISO affects, well, I, I said sensitivity before, but what I really want to say is dynamic range. Every serious photographer needs to understand the relationship between these three factors and how they affect the photo. That said, the exposure triangle also represents a perfect scenario to examine this question of how much technical understanding is sufficient to take a good photo, because ISO is often represented as affecting the sensitivity of the sensor to light, which is technically inaccurate. Because digital ISO is a form of signal amplification, otherwise known as gain, which proportionally increases the signal and the noise. So that's the reason why, you know, when you move from ISO 100 to ISO 25,000, the image is much noisier because it's just, it's like the volume knob on your, on your car radio. But before I understood that increasing ISO affected the gain, I observed myself that it made the images noisier. So I would try to use the lowest ISO to meet whatever my shutter speed requirements were. Now, I'm not convinced that the added knowledge actually altered my photographic process, nor the end result, the end photos. Understanding those three factors that make up the exposure triangle was sufficient, even if my understanding of ISO was incorrect and or incomplete. And now, even though I said to you that ISO is gain, it's signal amplification, I'm sure there are PhDs in electrical engineering that could eviscerate my understanding of that concept. But again, it wouldn't affect my photography. I'm technical enough for the styles of photography that I practice that I feel like I don't need any more technical understanding of what's actually happening on the sensor. Now, your understanding of technical photography is highly context sensitive, in my opinion. You know, if you talk to old school sports photographers who used to shoot chrome, so Kodachrome or Ektachrome, all of the chromes are slide film, positive uh, slide uh, film. They'll likely tell you about this razor thin latitude that required really, really spot on exposure. Now, if you only shot sports with chrome, that was your only job as a photographer, you'd also never learn about pushing your film, which was a common practice for, say, photojournalists shooting in low-light situations that exceeded the printed ASA on the box of film, right? So is the sports photographer more technical than the photojournalist? Silly question. Each photographer accumulated the knowledge that they needed 
for his or her specific type of photography. Further, I would argue, the photojournalists relied on a darkroom technician, right? All they did was write plus one, plus three on their roll of film and then hand it off to the darkroom guy. And the darkroom guy knew that, okay, I got to keep it in the developer for, you know, 10 seconds longer. But those rules were probably produced by a chemist or by the darkroom tech before him that figured that, that all out. So the, all the photojournalists needed to know was which films can be pushed and by how much. But he or she didn't really need to know about chemistry in order to do that. Some of this comes into question when you look at this concept of ETTR, which is exposed to the right. When it comes to things like digital photography or actually any sort of digital capture, whether it's videography or audio, most experts encourage getting it right in the device, right? So you've heard, get it right in the camera, in part to maximize quality, in part to reduce the hours of post-production that you could be consumed with if you didn't get it right in camera. Now, the light meter built into the digital camera gives us a great starting point for an exposure, and then we can dial in that, you know, uh, exposure value compensation, a little dial that a lot of us have on our cameras, or manually set the shutter speed and aperture. Experts implore photographers to use the histogram all the time, but even serious photographers often rely on their screens to assess the exposure. We're visual creatures. We can't help but want to look at that photo. If you want deeper blues in your sky, it's common to underexpose rather than ETTR, exposed to the right which allows you to use the entire dynamic range of your sensor. What you see when you do ETTR often looks like it might be overexposed. So the technical photographer would argue to ETTR to maximize the full capabilities of the sensor, but a less technical photographer might just pull up the underexposed image in post. Which, quite honestly, I you know, when I don't ETTR and I'm, I'm using the... LCD on the back of my camera, I often find that I got to pull up the thing by a stop in post. Now, should I be concerned about the dynamic range loss by underexposing? I mean, I think you could argue that case. I think if you're a full-time landscape photographer where you really want to capture as much dynamic range, the full dynamic range of your camera, then obviously using ETTR as a technique for your exposure, it makes 100% sense. But if you're shooting, say, spot news, do you think people are saying, wow, I really wish he had more dynamic range out of this image? Of course not. Because for spot news, the thing that's important is, were you there when the thing happened or not, right? So even audience expectation for technical quality varies by the type of photography that you're practicing and what the audience is observing. Now, clearly, certain niches of photography, like underwater photography or astrophotography, require a certain level of technical knowledge. If you've ever tried to do underwater photography, you know, maybe you got a plastic underwater case for your iPhone, or maybe you bought one of those bags that you can put your DSLR in, which aren't too expensive. Anybody can, you know, throw their camera into a bag and go underwater and take a photo, and anyone can quickly realize that those photos aren't very good, even if a, pro a professional photographer takes them who hasn't had underwater experience, right? A competent land-based photographer will struggle to get any sort of keepers underwater without 
more specialized understanding and more specialized gear. And even if the photo seems good enough to this land-based photographer, seasoned underwater photo buyers are going to have more sophisticated tastes and needs, right? They're not going to accept photos that have a lot of what we call backscatter in the water. So what, it, what looks like dust that's been lit up by, by sunlight or some artificial light source that's not positioned correctly. So domain expertise extends beyond the technical when we're trying to produce commercially viable work. There's so many factors that go into uh, understanding how to take a photo, understanding how to caption the photo, understanding who your audience is. So even though I'm arguing that that on the one hand, sometimes you really need a lot of technical knowledge. On the other hand, sometimes you really don't need that much and all that matters is the end result. There is one situation that came up pretty recently that, that I just can't wrap my head around. Uh, I've been starting to experiment with video a little bit in the past few years. I bought one of those uh, Atomos 5 external recorders. So if you haven't shot video, uh, a lot of cameras allow you to output the video signal from the HDMI port on your camera into an external recorder. And you would do this for a number of reasons. The first reason is to get around this 30 minute recording limit that is imposed in a lot of your cameras. The reason why this limit exists in the first place, I was surprised to find out, is because of tariffs. So if DSLR manufacturers allowed their cameras to record more than 30 minutes of video, they would be considered video cameras, which have a different tariff level than still cameras. Well, sometimes if you're doing an interview, it's really inconvenient to have the camera shut off after 30 minutes. So using, a, using an external recorder helps you get around that limitation. But the other reason why people are using it is because a lot of the camera's circuitry can't really take advantage of what's coming off of the sensor in terms of capturing the maximum quality. So on my Nikon Z7, for example, it can output a log format, a log file through HDMI, which that Atomos recorder can then record at the highest quality. And they just did another upgrade, again, for your video heads, where you can record ProRes RAW out of the Nikon Z7 camera into that Atomos 5 camera. Well, the first time I plugged this thing in, I was trying to adjust my ISO. And the lowest ISO I could get was ISO 800. Now, if you're a still shooter used to base ISOs of 164 and you have in your head that the dynamic range is gonna be the best at the low ISOs, it's really puzzling that the base ISO will be 800. So of course I go to Google and I, I search for it and I find a forum on DP review and I start reading it and you know, there's this conversation going on with some snarky comments, of course, because there's always these know-it-alls on uh, online. And one guy goes, read the manual. Now, okay, you buy a new piece of technology, you're not really familiar with it, should you read the manual? Of course you should read the manual. But then you read the manual, and the manual says nothing more than the base ISO is going to be 800 when you're shooting video. So I don't know what to think. There's a paucity of information combined with this complexity of color science and video that make me feel like there are areas of, of technical expertise that I'm never going to obtain and that will be out of reach 
for anyone but the most technically inclined person or the, the person that really wants to read the white paper. My technical knowledge with still photography isn't necessarily transferable into the world of video, which has absolutely compromised my first forays into color grading. Right? If you try to shoot log video, which is this very flat looking video that's better for enhancing later on, and you try to do your first pass at color grading, in my experience, it looks like crap. And so it took me several hours of reading and several more hours of experimenting uh, with color charts to figure out what was happening and to come up with a result that I was happy with. And in looking into this issue, which started with the ISO 800 question, the more I learned, the more I realized how little I knew about the subject. So it was just one of those cases where <laughs> having a little bit of knowledge was, was in a sense dangerous, right? Taking a photo in a well-lit condition doesn't require much technical knowledge. It just doesn't. You can take an iPhone, you can take an a Android phone, you can go out in the middle of the day and take a pretty good photo. Taking a great photo, not a good photo, taking a great photo in the same condition requires, in my opinion, more skill and more talent. Taking a great photo in difficult conditions requires skill, talent, and a modicum of technical expertise, right? Knowing how to shoot something in a low light situation, you're going to have to understand a lot more than if you're standing in the middle of the day to get a good quality end result. Paul McCartney famously can't read music, but he's written an incredible trove of music, right? On the other hand, he's probably not the guy you want to hire to orchestrate the next Star Wars film. He can dream up a thousand melodies. He can come up with these incredibly moving lyrics but he probably doesn't know much about bassoons. I would never discourage the accumulation of technical knowledge, and I certainly admire anyone who has taken the time to understand the math and physics behind photography. In a sense, understanding something like an MTF chart, which is a chart of optical performance of lenses, it, it isn't so dissimilar from understanding weather patterns, animal behavior, or athlete tendencies, right? All of these different areas of knowledge can help a photographer take better photos, but not to equivalent degrees. If you're shooting wildlife, you're better off understanding biology than the physics of the fluorite coating on your lens. That's just a fact. The stereotype of doctors and dentists buying the most expensive gear reflects a bias against their lack of technical understanding. We tease them because we say, oh, you spent $10,000 on a camera, but you don't know how to use it. That's a value judgment on their technical knowledge. The trope is built upon the assumption that they lack the knowledge to know why they bought the best that money can buy. But while photography can be both technical and artistic, it is at its core a form of creative expression. So I don't begrudge the doctor or the dentist who spends a lot of money on their camera gear just because they want to go out and, and be creative and take a photo. There's nothing wrong with that. Technical knowledge can make outcomes more predictable, can speed up processes, and mitigate risk. Photographers are occasionally hired for their technical abilities, but most are hired for their vision, personality, or their price. So how technical do you need to be to take a good photo? Technical enough to reliably capture the images you and your clients want. 
That's it for this week. Sarah Jacobs will be back next week. We'll see you next time. PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.